History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 415th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have a location that was suggested by Tammy Burroughs, which means she's probably been there. I would imagine. (laughs) I'm sure because it's right there in the heart of where she's from, Knoxville, Tennessee, and that is the Ramsey House. Which has nothing to do with the John Bonet Ramsey House, which is what comes to my mind okay. when I hear that name. Yeah, no. I lived right near Boulder at the time that that happened, so we were inundated with a lot of that, as was the entire country. Anyway, this has nothing to do with a little girl and a cold case murder, but there are some spirits here, which is why we'll be talking about it. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Bonnie, Terry, Kenny, Felicity, Kate, Lisa... And we have two Kellys, such a popular name, Kelly S. and Kelly N. And they both spell it the correct way. Yes, just like (laughs) you do. Welcome to our Facebook group, guys. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Bill Richardson. In May of 1754, the French and Indian War broke out and tensions were running high all throughout New England. That summer, something peculiar occurred in the town of Wyndham, Connecticut. In the middle of the night, residents were awakened by a horrifying scream. Not just a scream, a shrieking roar. There were many voices in the sound. Some thought it was an attacking group of Native Americans. Others thought enemy forces were coming. Wyndham's militia leader, Eliphalet Dyer, called the militia to form. They fired their muskets into the darkness until daylight broke. Then a scouting group was sent out to see how successful they had been. What they found were hundreds of bullfrog bodies laying belly up everywhere. A large group of bullfrogs had descended on a large puddle, which is all that remained of a pond on Dyer's property. The people of Wyndham realized that the crisis they heard were bullfrogs crying out for water. The incident is known as the Great Wyndham Frog Fight. Three ballads were written about it, and even an operetta was performed in 1888. The Wyndham Bank even issued banknotes with an image of a frog standing over the body of another frog. And that certainly is odd. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. And now, this month in history. 
the month of December on the 12th in 1967, the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner debuted. The movie starred Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy as the parents of Katherine Houghton's character, Joanna Drayton. This was the last film Hepburn and Tracy made together. It was a pivotal film for its time because it showcased an interracial couple in a positive light. This was a romantic comedy drama from director Stanley Kramer, and Sidney Poitier starred as Joanna's fiancé. In 1967, interracial marriage was still illegal in 17 states until the Supreme Court passed anti-miscegenation in June of that year. In 2017, the film was added to the National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Joanna's parents disagreed with each other about how they felt about the relationship. Poitier's character tells the parents he will leave the relationship unless the couple both give their blessing. Joanna invites her future in-laws to dinner, and they are shocked to find out that their son is engaged to a white woman. In the end, both sets of parents support the marriage. The Ramsey House has also been known as Swan Pond and is located in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was built by a prominent man in the town, Colonel Francis Alexander Ramsey, in the late 1700s. The house has a unique stone look to it and was the main home on a plantation that was held by the Ramseys until the Civil War. Today, it's a historic museum on 101 acres that includes gardens and a visitor center. And apparently, this is still home to several family members in the afterlife. Join us for the history and hauntings of the Ramsey House. Knoxville, Tennessee is located at the headwaters of the Tennessee River in the heart of the Great Valley of East Tennessee that was once the hunting grounds of the Cherokee. A burial mound is evidence of an even earlier indigenous group. James White founded the town in 1786, and he built several cabins and a fort he named White's Fort. wonder what he named it for. Hmm. The Knoxville name came in 1791, and the city grew quickly, becoming the first capital of Tennessee. Early on, the town had several taverns and no church, so that tells you a little something about how ruckus it could get around there. This isn't the first place we've talked about having lots of bars and no church. Seems to be a theme. It does. The railroad and river made Knoxville into a distribution center. The city found itself split during the Civil War and was occupied at different times by both the Confederacy and the Union. The University of Tennessee was founded here as well, starting as Blunt College. Francis Ramsey would move here and build his home. Francis Alexander Ramsey was of Scotch-Irish descent and was born in Pennsylvania in 1764. He joined the cause during the Revolutionary War, fighting alongside General George Washington and working his way up to colonel. I have heard that the colonel was an honorary title, so I don't know if he legitimately worked up to that, but they called him colonel, so. Like Colonel Sanders. (laughs) No. Yes, but this guy didn't make chicken. When he was 19, he set his sights on East Tennessee and relocated to Greene County. Ramsey joined an exploration group that included James White to search out new areas of settlement, and he helped found Knoxville. On one of the trips to the area, Ramsey found a pond that had been dammed by a beaver, and it was full of fish. He named the pond Swan Pond and asked for a land grant in 1786. It's my understanding that there were some swans on the pond, and that's where the name came from. (laughs) 
That would make sense. It would make sense because I'm like, why would he call it Swan Pond? But yeah. He served as an official with the early state of Franklin that failed in 1788. Ramsey would continue his work in the government of the Southwest Territory and state of Tennessee, which earned statehood in 1796. In 1789, Ramsey married Margaret McNitt Alexander, whom everybody called Peggy. I don't know where they got that from, but I will tell you, <laughs> I actually had a client who was named Margaret and her nickname was Peg. I wonder if there's something to do with that. I don't know, but I, I, when I read this, I'm like, wow, that's the second person I've heard with the first name Margaret that goes by Peggy or Peg. So interesting. Things make you go. Hmm. I'm sure one of our listeners probably knows. So if you do, please email us and let us know. In 1792, he decided it was time to move Peggy and their children to Swan Pond, and they built a log cabin to live in while the mansion was being constructed. The mansion was completed in 1797. During the construction, Ramsey had the pond drained because he was worried about malaria, possibly a bit of precognition because malaria would be what eventually took his life. I always think it's so interesting when people are like afraid of something or worried about something and then that ends up being the way they die. It's almost like you know that that's going to get you, but you don't know kind of thing. It makes me wonder if that's why I just have always had issues with planes. I mean, I loved them when I was a kid, so maybe not, because I would think you'd have a forever fear of something. I I would imagine. My main thing is I have a fear of, I say heights, but I think it's more a fear of falling. And so a plane up in the air falling out of the sky is what really worries me. Right. Architect Thomas Hope designed the house. Construction began in 1795, and local pink marble was combined with a bluish-gray limestone as the main material. The house is two stories and done in the late Georgian style. This included hand-carved cornices and window arches that have nine narrow stones each. The kitchen is attached to the main house via a dog trot. And in case people don't know, a dog trot is a breezeway that you find between two wings of a house. Oh, I was thinking it was a dog run. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly what I would have thought. I'm like, I wonder how it got the name Dog Trot. Again, maybe one of our listeners knows who's in architecture, but I'm just like, it just seems kind of like it's a hallway kind of thing between two wings of a house. The house has six fireplaces, but only three chimneys. So they must be connected. From like, floor dually. to floor. I'm thinking that's what the case is. So the first floor and the second floor have fireplaces right on top of each other. This was the first house in Tennessee to have an attached kitchen. Oh, wow. So most places at this time would have had your, you know, kitchen that was a separate building out back. So that dog trot actually made it very unique because most people would not have attached their kitchen to the house. I would imagine it possibly had to do with something of the risk of fire. Oh, I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah. And maybe they felt a little bit like they could do that with this house because it's made out of all stone. So your chances of having it burned down, it's limestone and marble, probably not going to burn down very easily. The interior is similar to many historic mansions with a front door that opens into a hallway with a dining room on one side of the hallway and a parlor or library on the other side. There are two bedrooms on the second floor and mysteriously, there is another door on the second floor that's an entrance. That's the way I heard it described everywhere. I don't know if anybody's been to this house and maybe you can inform us more on this. I didn't see any stairs leading to it, so I think that's why it's like a mysterious door. Because it's like, why would you have another door that's an entrance that you can't get to? I wonder if perhaps they were planning on building a balcony. Maybe. Or maybe there was something like wooden stairs that had gone up to it. And sure. And this second, time they, you know, fell apart. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. A second set of stairs. I would think that they would have that almost like a an additional, not a mother-in-law's unit, but, you know, additional secondary living space for 
someone else. I don't know. Well, and as we're going to talk about here, they had slaves that lived in the house. So I'm wondering if that was like another entrance for them to come in so they weren't coming in the front door. There are two stories on the kitchen wing. We don't know this for certain, but the house slaves probably lived on the second floor of the kitchen wing. The Ramsey slaves didn't work the land. They had indentured servants from the north for that. Peggy didn't get to enjoy the house for long. She died in 1805 at the age of 39. In 1806, Frances married a second wife, Anne Agnew Ramsey. She died in 1816. In 1820, he married for the third time to a woman named Margaret Christian Russell. So he must have liked the name Margaret. <laughs> this was also her third marriage. Francis died that same year from malaria. Five months after his death, Margaret gave birth to their son, Francis Alexander Ramsey Jr. Ramsey had three other children that made it to adulthood. James Getty McCready, William Bain Alexander, and Eliza Jane. Another son, who had also been named William Bain, died when he was eight years old. That just strikes me as kind of weird that you would name your children the same name. Because it'd be one thing if he died, like, near childbirth or at childbirth or something like that and you really right. liked the name or it was a family name you wanted to make sure went on but after he already made it to eight yeah that's a little unusual yeah seems unusual eliza jane became one of the few women in the area to be college educated william became knoxville mayor and later the secretary of state james became a doctor and wrote the annals of tennessee which was a historical documentation of the state's early years he also founded the east tennessee historical society and established the region's first medical society. So he'd be right up our alley since he's establishing these historical societies. James also got into banking and became president of the Bank of East Tennessee. It was in this position that James got into some trouble. Parson Brownlow was a publisher of the Knoxville newspaper, and he accused the bank's directors of defrauding clients of the bank. He also accused James' son, John, of creating false pension funds for employees. And Brownlow described him as, quote, a few degrees removed from an idiot. Oh, my. <laughs> Could write anything in the paper if you're in charge of it, right? The accusations really hurt the family and cost James's son the district's congressional seat. So we didn't just have mudslinging in our politics of nowadays. They had it back then, too. I'm surprised he didn't get sued for slander. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they really were defrauding people or not. I never got that information. But he certainly was accusing them. And that's criminal activity you're accusing them of. James and William both lived in the house at various times up until the Civil War. They supported the Confederate cause, and when the Union took the city of Knoxville, they burned James's house, Mecklenburg. It's believed that Brownlow convinced the Union to do this. He not only was an anti-secessionist, but James's son John had Brownlow arrested on charges of conspiracy to burn railroad bridges, and he pushed for him to be hanged. The Confederate Army was worried about backlash, so they didn't do that. After James's house was burned, he lost his spirit and the Ramsey family left the city for South Carolina. The Ramsey house was sold in 1866 by Ramsey grandson, who shared the same name as his grandfather, to a man named William Spurgeon. The house started to fall into disrepair after that. In 1927, the Bonnie Kate chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution placed a historical marker at the Ramsey house in honor of it being James Ramsey's birthplace. So even though his dad was a founder of the city, his son James was more was a little bit more prominent because he had just written so much about the history of Tennessee. The Historic American Building Survey documented the house for a decade. Despite this attention, it wouldn't be until 1952 that the Association for the Preservation of Tennessee Antiquities would purchase the house. And the initials for that is APTA, and they began the process of restoring the house. They started with the windows and roof and then restored everything else to its former glory. 
They also hauled an old log cabin onto the property to represent the first Ramsey house. I thought that was a nice touch. They filled the house with period furnishings that include two original Chippendale chairs given to Francis Alexander Ramsey and his wife Peggy as a wedding present. And I believe, you know those Chippendale dancers back in the day? That is where they get their name from. All right, Kelly, do you want to jump down the rabbit hole with me? After you. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. So I went to the Chippendales.com website, a place that I normally wouldn't be hanging out. Oh, dear. (laughs) Although I will tell you, when I was in college, I did go to a Chippendale show with uh, some of my fellow roommates and stuff. That's funny. I've never been. (laughs) (laughs) It was 1979 when the Chippendales first came on the scene, gyrating their way into the hearts and laps of women everywhere. Los Angeles club owner Steve Banerjee started the Chippendales, naming them after the classic Chippendale-style furniture that adorned the club where the guys first performed. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. When I saw that in my research that they had these Chippendale-style chairs, I was like, well, that's the only time I've ever heard the name Chippendale. And then I remembered back, I'm like, I just listened to that podcast, the true crime one. And I was like, I'm pretty sure they said in there that they were named for the Chippendale Too funny. I was familiar with the furniture, with the chairs, but... I didn't realize that the two were connected. Well, now you know, and I'm sure everybody's just thrilled. All right, where's my grappling hook to get out of this hole? Yeah, let's get out of here. We don't (laughs) want to be down with the Chippendales for too long. In 1969, the house was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Today, it is a museum that also hosts weddings and other events. At Halloween, the house has hosted an event called The Spirits Within. And for good reason, because apparently this house is haunted. There are stories of a revolutionary soldier walking by a window and members of the Ramsey household continue to live here in the afterlife. The house was formally investigated and had a documentary produced about the findings. This investigation took place in May of 2013. J. Adam Smith and Lindsay Watley of Haunted Knoxville Ghost Tours conducted the paranormal investigation and Patrick Watson of Maple Tree Productions produced the documentary. It's called Historic Hauntings, A Paranormal Study of Ramsey House. The film features Smith and Watley communicating with spirits on the second floor master bedroom with a flashlight. They ask the spirits to turn on the flashlight and it blinks several times on its own. They also play several EVP that they captured. Kelly Weatherly Sinclair was the executive director in the house in 2019 when WATE 6 visited for a Halloween segment. She told the reporter that they have experienced many things in the house. It can be anywhere from seeing a shadow walk by to hearing footsteps. There are several that we think we've identified. One is Billy, the eight-year-old. Another is Anne, Francis's second wife. Another we think is Reynolds, and another one is Seth. And those are all different walks of life. A child, a mother, a grandfather, and we think one of the slaves that was here. Sue Jones was a museum assistant, and she said, I heard the guy in the other room go, oh my. I go, what's the matter? Well, somebody just swore at me. I said, oh, that's just Seth. Don't worry about it. So we go, Seth, what do you want? And the box said, stairs. So we all go over to the stairs. Those stairs are the ones that lead up to a dormitory, but no one ever goes up there anymore. The door there will shut on its own, and Seth has something to say. Jones also said that Billy has occasionally tapped her on the arm to let her know he was there. Cars driving past the house when it is closed have called saying that they think someone is broken in because they'll see a figure looking out of a window. After the security company received calls four times for the same thing and each time finding nothing and no one at the house, everyone finally had to admit it was a spirit. The spirit is described as a tall, thin woman with hair up in a bun. 
They believe this is the second wife of Colonel Ramsey, Anne. There are also descriptions of a woman in black looking out a window. We're not sure if this is the same entity or if it's just, you know, at one time somebody said, oh, it's a tall, thin woman with a bun. And then somebody else said, I saw a lady in a black dress, but she might have had her hair up in a bun, too. I mean, I find that really interesting. Maybe you do get to do a wardrobe change whenever you feel like in the spirit world. And it makes me wonder, because a lot of women would have worn their hair up in a bun. How do they know it's his second wife? Because I'm thinking if you're seeing a woman wearing black at that time, she would have been in mourning. So this could have either been his last wife after he passed away because they weren't married for very long. Right. Or maybe one of his other wives was... It probably would have been his first wife mourning the loss of uh, their Billy. child. Yeah. yeah. The Ramsey house is a very unique looking home. Definitely a one of a kind. Is the Ramsey house haunted? That, that is for you, you to decide. decide. Well, I wish we could have found a lot more on this particular location. Usually when I can't get a whole lot, I make it just one of our bonus casts. But It really is a very unique home. And so I wanted to put it on for the main feed so that people will go check this out. We want to find out more about it. So if anybody's been there, let us know. Have you ever felt anything while you're there? Because the thing is, they had that one investigation that they keep making a big deal out of because they made it into this little documentary, which I haven't been able to find anywhere to watch. But clearly, it needs some more investigators to get in there so we can find out more. I'd be game. Another interesting haunted location in Knoxville is a bridge. This isn't like the crybaby bridges all over the country. The Gay Street Bridge crosses the Tennessee River. It was completed in 1898 and is the oldest vehicle bridge in the city. The bridge was designed by Chief Engineer Charles E. Fowler with a steel spandrel-braced arch and a concrete deck. The deck is 42 feet wide with two vehicle lanes, although when it was first installed, it had trolley tracks. Those were removed in 1938. This was a challenging spot for a bridge. There had been four other bridges here previously, a temporary pontoon bridge, a stone bridge that was washed away by a flood, a covered bridge that was blown down by a tornado, and a wooden Howe truss bridge that was demolished when the Gay Street Bridge was completed. I'd say God didn't want a bridge there. (laughs) It kind of sounds that way. During the construction of the final bridge, the plans had to be altered because getting materials was hard during the Spanish-American War. Major repairs were performed from 2002 until 2004. One of those repairs was to the electrical system on the bridge because it seemed something was haunting the bridge. The story goes that in 1815, on one of the previous bridges, a man was running from a lynch mob. We're not sure what he did, but he ended up falling off the bridge. And for that reason, he haunts the bridge and usually shows his presence by playing with the electricity. The third light on the bridge has continually gone out for over a hundred years. The city has tried different methods to keep the light from going out, but nothing has ever worked. They rewired everything when they made the major repairs, but it still goes out to this day. And even when it doesn't go out, it flickers. The light likes to flicker especially when tours go by and talk about it. I think that's fun. I would love to be a tour guide and be like talking about it. And then all of a sudden it's like on cue. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? And not too far from the bridge, and you can see it from the bridge, is Knoxville's city county building. The structure is located at 400 Main Street. Knoxville was a rough city at one time, as we described earlier. It had more saloons and, I imagine, brothels than they did churches, because there were no churches. (laughs) I was going to say, where are you going with this? The old city area was full of saloons, brothels, and crime. The area where the building sits was once the site of hangings. And I'm sure that they had a court building there, probably, at one time. That past has left a residue. People see shadows around the building, and doors inside the building slam open and closed on their own. 
disembodied footsteps are heard. It's unnerving enough that people dislike working there at night. And as we mentioned, when tours go by the bridge and talk about it, they have that light flickering. There are haunted Knoxville ghost tours. Check those something out if we'll you have haven't. To, yeah. Something we'll have to go do. Definitely. I mean, we have not been over to that area of Tennessee. We've been to Chattanooga. I've been to Nashville, but um, never been over near the Knoxville area. So we'll definitely have to do that and check out uh, Tammy and Brian's stomping ground. Absolutely. We'd love for you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to leave us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I do have a couple of things that people sent to us. First, Lou wrote, For a while now, I felt like someone is hanging around. I'll randomly feel someone playing with my hair or touching me. Anyway, so two nights ago, I was lying in bed and my son's toy that never randomly goes off was randomly playing music repeatedly. Then the TV was turning off and on. I was lying there but felt like I couldn't move. I looked up to see something dark in my room. I yelled and said, get out. Then I heard an audible voice say, you get out. Whoa. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm out. That's when you start saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then a piece of paper was thrown at me. I don't know if it was wadded up in a ball or just a regular piece of paper. I was so scared and didn't know what to do. I lied there just praying to my angels to protect me and my kids. I found out that two people who lived here previously had died in the house. So I don't know if it's like a battle over, this is our house, get out. But I'll tell you what you need to do. Saying the prayers is probably good, but even better is just audibly letting them know, um, no, this is my house. If you want to be nice, you can stay. But if you're not going to be nice and you're going to tell me to get out, then you're going to have to leave. Just take the upper hand. And if that doesn't work and they start wadding up more paper and pegging you with it or throwing other things at you, then maybe pull out Jesus's name and say, well, in his name, why don't you get on out? (laughs) Absolutely. Then Jane, who lives in Australia, wrote, so I have no photo to present to you, basically no proof of anything. However, we've been living in our house for about seven years. The house used to be a doctor's surgery. Plus she, the doctor, also lived in the home in a different section of the house. I've heard that someone died in the swimming pool in the backyard, but can't find any information to back that up. We've had a few odd things happen. The garage door opens of its own accord. That could be that somebody's on the same thing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I actually had to reprogram ours for that very reason. Yeah, uh, we once had a neighbor a couple doors down or whatever that was on the same one. So every time they came home, our garage door would go up. We sometimes smell flowers or floral scented perfume. We can literally step into and out of a small area to smell it. It's even happened in the outside doorway, which I find really interesting because when people tell you that they smell these phantom smells and things like that, I've never really thought to ask them, well, does it permeate everywhere or is it just in a specific section? If you're just getting it in a specific spot, like a cold spot, then wow, that really seems to speak to a spirit standing right here, literally. We have sensor lights throughout the house to lead the way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. They turn on in sequence in the middle of the night. I thought it was the cat, but she was peacefully sleeping between us on our bed. Nobody else lives here. Hubby, me, and our cat all sleep together, and if one of us gets up in the middle of the night, we know. Not scared or afraid whatsoever. The smells we can step in and out of are beautiful. The lights going on and off are a bit odd. The garage door opening of its own accord is a definite worry. And like I said, the thing that worries me the most about some of these people's ghostly stories is when they say, you know, they wake up and find their doors wide open or unlocked. And I'm like, now that's just a security hazard. Right. That's worse than just a haunting. So some very interesting stories there. Kelly, I also wanted to share uh, Mindy had put this up in the Spooktacular crew, and I thought it was pretty fitting for us. It's got Sophia from the Golden Girls, the picture of her. And it says, everyone talks about an inner child. 
I have an inner older lady who says inappropriate things, judges everyone and wants to be in bed by 8 p.m. <laughs> I thought, well, that kind of sounds like Kelly and I. I don't know how much we judge others, but, <laughs> but I can feel like Sophia on certain days. <laughs> yes, definitely in bed by 8 p.m. If I'm up past that, it's going to be trouble. That's why when we do investigations, we can get a bit loopy. You know, I'm just always a sarcastic person. So that's why I feel like Sophia. <laughs> yes, that's she it, was saying inappropriate things. That's like me when I, I'm just very, very sarcastic. About yeah, many things. me too. And that's the hard thing about social media and being online or texting because sarcasm doesn't come across very well. This is true. And then we did a couple of episodes ago, Miss Molly's Bed and Breakfast and Amy Martinez's daughter. We played audio between her and her fiance of some experiences they had there. And people may recall that her fiance's father's spirit seemed to have some communication with them. And it told them because she's pregnant that she was going to have a little girl. Well, it turns out that they found out they're having a little boy. So the father-in-law <laughs> ghost was wrong, but I did say I don't believe that ghosts can be psychic. So and you know they can hide those things on the <laughs> ultrasound. I mean, sometimes the Maybe doctor's he just wrong. No, <laughs> exactly. Sometimes the doctor's wrong too. So congratulations to uh, Jade and her fiance. Absolutely. Want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host Diane, and this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. First, we want to thank Brendan Timoney for his donation. And Sarah Midden, we are going to be moving you into a garden crypt. So in three months, you're going to be getting your HGB logo mug. And then after a year, you get a t-shirt. Awesome. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We really could not produce this show without you. And if you want more information about the tiers that we have on Patreon, just go check it out. You'll be able to see how many extra episodes you get, what different goodies you get throughout the year. Maybe it'll be a New Year's resolution to support one of your favorite podcasts. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We appreciate you. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. known as the Great Wyndham Fog Fog Fight. They fight in the fog with frogs. <laughs> it's a fog fight. Foghorn Lakehorn. I think he initiated the whole thing. Well, I do declare. <laughs> oh boy, already going off the rails. <laughs> Look out. Three ballads were written about it and even an operetta was performed in 1888. I'd like to know how they sang that. The operetta? I I don't know, but it would be, was there some ribbiting in there? Yeah, I don't know. Uh oh, we've got the giggles. Oh no. <laughs>
This could take a while to get it back under control. The house was formerly invest... Formerly? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. The deck is 42 feet wide with two vehicle lanes, although when it was first installed, it had trolley... Trolley? Trolley tracks? Trolley trolleys? <laughs> They're jolly trolleys. Jump on the trolley trolley. <laughs> on the jolly trolley. Yeah. Hey, the jolly trolley trolley. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Jeez. 